0: Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Lewis Brook, for becoming a patron of the original cast. I'm very excited to have you on board. I'm very excited to have all of our patrons on board. And I, in all seriousness, though I joke around a lot during these thank yous, I'm so amazed that there are people out there who want to support this podcast financially when you don't have to. It makes me feel uh, so wonderful that you likes this so much uh, that you want to be a part of it. And to say thank you, formally, I give you a bonus podcast called The Original Cast at the Movies, where every month I and a couple of guests discuss a movie musical. And this month, in February, we have Phantom of the Paradise from 1974, and it is, well, it's supposed to be Phantom of the Opera, but it's, oh God, it's so amazing. You have to listen to it. Go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod to become a patron of The Original Cast. All right, here's the show. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is an actor. It's Chris Stinson, everybody. Hello. Hey,
2: Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you?
0: That's good. I'm doing just fine. Chris brought donuts and coffee. I did. Which? Well, I brought coffee, I guess, but Chris brought yes. donuts. And no one's ever done that before. And I'm not saying you have to if you want to be on this show, but it don't hurt. It, That's all I'm saying.
2: It's a way to ingratiate yourself to the host. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no
0: one's ever tried to ingratiate themselves to me before, <laughs> Chris.
2: I appreciate
0: your your can uh, We'll see here. how this goes. We'll see. see we'll see what
2: you get next time. Who knows? That's yeah. true. Well, by the time
0: this comes out, we'll see. I don't know. If it will be like I have to bring gifts, but you don't have to bring gifts. I'm just saying. I mean, if you brought some munchkins like Chris did, little munchkins go I a long way. I'm not going to complain. They do. <laughs> they do go a very long way. Um, But we're not here to talk about munchkins, which would be a lovely
2: conversation. We're
0: here to talk about...
2: The Real Thing by Tom Stoppard.
1: This thing here, which looks like a wooden club, is in fact several pieces of particular wood cunningly put together in a certain way so that the whole thing is sprung like a dance floor. It's for hitting cricket balls with. If you get it right, the cricket ball will travel 200 yards in four seconds, and all you've done is give it a knock like knocking the top off a bottle of stout and it makes a noise like a trout taking a fly. What we're trying to do is write cricket bats, so that when we throw up an idea and give it a little knock, it might travel. Now, what we have here is a lump of wood of roughly the same shape trying to be a cricket bat. But if you hit a ball with it, the ball will travel about 10 feet, and you will drop the bat and dance about shouting ouch with your hands stuck into
0: your armpits. Yeah, we're talking about a play this week, gang. Um, So there are like eight of these cast albums mm-hmm. that are original cast albums mm-hmm. of plays. And when I asked you to be on the show, you said I don't really know any musicals and I said well there are these plays and I sent you this list it was like Waiting for Godot this one, a play called Love and the recent Angels in America had mm-hmm. one um, Copenhagen has one and I've wanted to talk about them for so long because I find them hilarious <laughs> on a certain level yeah uh, and so I threw out the list to you and you picked this one, did you know this play before I sent it to you?
2: I, I didn't honestly and um I was drawn to it mostly because of who was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had heard of it before. Obviously, I know Tom Stoppard. Um, but it was the cast that really drew it to me. Um, the it, It's such an all-star cast that you look at it and go, wow, like, the careers of all of these individuals mm-hmm. skyrocketed. Um, We're well, well, almost all of them are household names. Yeah, um, and that's—I I guess that was sort of my my easy into it. I Went oh, I recognize all these names here because I mean, like, I do know some musicals, obviously, but sure. not to the passionate extent. I'm more of a, a straight play kind of guy, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and as an actor, that's that's really kind of my my, my forte. But um, yeah, I was I was delighted to see like wow, what a, what a cast uh, that they had. Oh, yeah. Back in, uh, this is 84. Jeremy 84. Irons. Yeah. Jeremy Irons, Glenn Close. Jeremy Irons
0: on the rise. Glenn on the Close, rise. Yeah. Christine Baranski. Cynthia Nixon. Cynthia Nixon. A, a very a doing, very young Cynthia Nixon. Very young Cynthia Nixon. Famously doing two shows at once. Yes. She was doing this and Hurley Burley. Yes. Hurley Burley. Same time, which yeah. is a riot.
2: A, a, a Broadway record <laughs> uh, that, uh, and, and history making that will. Never be done again. Uh, I can't
0: imagine they'll be done again.
2: No, a- actually, apparently Actors Equity has a rule against it that now. you can't do it. Yeah. the Cynthia Nixon rule because mm-hmm. she was doing she'd do Act One of
0: Hurley Burley and mm-hmm. then she'd get up, get off stage, mm-hmm. pack everything up, right, and walk across the street. She did. There's a video of her like reenacting this. Yeah, and it's and walk into the real thing at by intermission, get dressed, and like come on. It's like middle of Act Two, right? Yeah, she would. She For would come one on. Scene.
2: Yeah, first act of Hurley Burley. And then she would change into her street clothes and then go across uh, 47th Street uh, and do the, re- the second act of the real thing and do the curtain call and then go back to uh, the Barrymore yeah. where Hurley Burley was for for the third act.
0: Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, OK.
2: And then. Uh, yeah. Jeez, which that's is so funny. Uh, and apparently in the video that I saw people. I guess sort of Broadway insiders would would sort of stake out and watch her do this, which I was so voyeuristic. But also I'd be like, I'd want to watch that. What a unique thing. But apparently it'll never happen
0: again. It couldn't happen again. I mean, it's really, it's not a good idea. No, Like, it's it's a really bad idea. Now, she is an astonishingly good actress. Oh, yeah. So like, you know, a once once in a generation kind of talent. So I get it Uh, on one level, but on another level.
2: It's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. idea. But thankfully, they were only two blocks away. The two theaters were about two blocks away. Sure,
0: but can you imagine
2: being the stage
0: manager of each of those shows? Those two stage managers who, like, the, 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 I don't know who had the easier job because I was about to say Hurley Burley had the easier job because she had the first call. So Mm -hmm. you get there and you're fine. But then like she must have the stage manager somewhere in the back of her head or his head all through act two of Hurley Burley had to be like, God, I hope she doesn't get hit by a car. Right. I hope she doesn't get like, what in the world are we going to do? And then she comes back and like, again, similarly, like the stage manager of real things, spending act one being like, I mean, I guess, well, because her (laughs) understudy hilariously was Yeardley Smith. Right. And Lisa Simpson. Lisa Simpson. Right. And so, like, I have to imagine her understudy was on a different kind of call than regular understudies because her half hour would have been it would have been the intermission basically like that's when so that's when you are like oh yeah, yeah she made it she didn't get hurt
2: between right.
0: one Thank of brilliant now she's in the theater you're cool for the evening
2: right and i i saw i think that they they made sure that uh that she had an understudy at the real thing to make sure that no actor was actually losing out on work because she was double right. dipping, yeah. uh, which I thought like, well, that's nice, you that know, but, nice. uh, but I, yeah, but apparently she did that, this sort of, uh, uh, <laughs> this, this, this back and forth madness for about three months. Yeah. And then, uh, I saw a thing that said she had to put in her notice cause she's like, I, I can't do this. I feel like I'm going to fail my, my college exams cause she was yeah. in college at the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just said, what, what a wonderful factoid that you know, that will never happen again. No.
0: It's irresponsible. It's, <laughs> it's a bad idea. <laughs> it, like, it is. is a really and I mean and also for the fact that it wasn't a gimmick. Like you say yeah. like Broadway insiders were mm-hmm, were checking it out. Mm-hmm. Like I almost get it if it's a bit. If it's like, oh, come, to, come yeah. see Cynthia Nixon in mm-hmm. both of these shows. But it wasn't. It was just like, no, she just got cast in both these shows and they went both I like the fact that like both production teams would have to sit down and be like, Well, I guess logistically it's possible. So yeah. sure. She can do both. And yeah. yet I mean she got paid for both.
2: I would hope so. It would be a
0: full whatever wage it would have been for her at the time.
2: Yeah, I, I mean... I, that's nuts. I think, I mean, any actor would be thrilled to, you know, have a consistent Broadway gig. Sure, Much less two, <laughs> two within two blocks of each sleep. other. Um, But, um, and I mean... two that's, hit
0: shows. I mean, that's the other two thing. Two hit of, shows, yeah. I have yeah. like two shows that ran, two shows that were mm-hmm. doing well, and yeah. With
2: both all-star casts because Hurley Burley had uh, uh William Hurt and uh, Sigourney Weaver oh, right. in it. So, I mean... It's just amazing. I mean, like, that's, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. So, that was one of the wonderful things that I was able to find out about having real, no, uh, re- really no, um, deep exposure to this play before, right? Just some amazing factoids that came out of it. So, so I'd like to pat myself on the back for picking this All one. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a good choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. what was also kind of stunning too is I, I'm, I'm gonna sound like such a, um, such a noob here, um, but but I, I realized, like obviously, I know who Tom Stoppard is and this and that. but sure. When I was looking at his other credits, mm-hmm. I was stunned that I had never seen anything else that he had done. Oh, really? Which was shocking to me. I felt like I, you know, like I had to, you know, uh, turn in my actor badge. It was just dreadful, uh, you know. But uh, the only thing that I had seen. That he had done was not a play, but was Shakespeare in Shakespeare Love. Shakespeare in Love, I was going to yeah. say. Yeah, was a movie, Shakespeare, it was a movie, Shakespeare, love, Shakespeare which, in Love, which, you know, yeah. so he clearly has a thing for for British love stories that are uh, of a complicated nature. Uh, sure. <laughs> set several hundred years apart. So I was going to say. Uh, in, but in, Yes, um, widely far apart. So, so like I said, uh, you know, so many people who have come on this show are... are so obsessed with these certain uh shows and and you know uh, they they grew up with these they, they sleep with the uh, the album under their pillow or you know whatever mm. and for me this was this was a new experience not only a brand new play um from a playwright who i really was not that super familiar with in a form that i had never experienced a play before right so we've entered new territory here on the original cast <laughs> when you, that's
0: true in a lot of ways when you because when you you listen to like L.A. Theater Works, uh, I think they still do it. Yeah, does I think they do. does audio versions of plays. Mm-hmm. They are they did actually an audio version of this play. It is though when they do that adapted for radio. Yes, they don't have stage directions read out loud or something, but things are more indicated. There's more like oh this is happening. Like there's a more it's very more clear when there's stage action what's going on. Absolutely. This is not that. No. This is just them reciting the text the the spoken text of the play because there's several pieces of stage business that happen mm-hmm. that i knew what was happening because i'd read the play but like i mean it's a big one at the end where where glenn close i think slaps the guy right mm-hmm. or cuts him and like he or makes him make gives him a bloody nose or yeah. something mm-hmm. and it is just this sound on the recording of just like <sniffs> <laughs> <laughs> and i remember listening to it the other day being like Okay, I know it happened, but <laughs> right. I can't imagine, like, so did, was it, like, were you for a second, like, yes. Yeah, like, did, did the
2: audio just pop, you right. know, like, I, I don't also, even know. You
0: were listening to a, it was my record cop because you cannot find this album, Is the other thing, no. in any other way except vinyl, mm-hmm. so you were listening to a transfer, a digital transfer yes. of my vinyl, which wasn't great, I will, like, listening back to it, I was like, <laughs> I could have cleaned this up a tiny bit, but yeah, there were pops and hisses and whirs, and like, so yes, I can imagine listening <laughs> to it being like, yeah, was that a mistake or was that a thing? That was a yeah, thing. Yeah. Okay, well, that was a thing. I,
2: you know what? I will tell you there. There was um, something in particular that was a bit of a hurdle for me to overcome uh, for a second because of, of it merely being an audio mm-hmm. medium. Sure. In, in the first scene uh, of the play, we see a husband and a wife that are having this wonderful banter talking about infidelity uh, and the husband played by Kenneth Walsh uh, playing the character of Max is uh, accusing his wife of infidelity
1: What have I done? You forgot your passport I did what? You went to Switzerland without your passport What makes you think that? I found it in your recipe drawer Jesus God Quite. What were you looking for? Your passport It's about the last place I would have looked It was Why were you looking for it? I didn't know it was going to be your passport, if you see what I mean. I think I do. You go through my things when I'm away. Why? I liked it when I found nothing. You should have just put it in your handbag. We'd still be an ideal couple, so to speak. Wouldn't you have checked to see if it had been stamped? That's a very good point. I noticed that you never went to Amsterdam when you went to Amsterdam. I must say, I take my hat off to you coming home with Rembrandt placemats for your mother. It's those little touches that lift adultery out of the moral arena and make it a matter of style. I
2: wouldn't go on if I were you.
1: Rembrandt placemats. I wonder who's got the original. We
2: then discover in the next scene that uh, that was just a scene from a play right. written by Jeremy Irons, who now we see Jeremy Irons and his wife, the actress in that previous scene, if right. that if it makes yes. sense there. Um, Christine Baranski. Christine Baransky, right.
1: Listen, do you remember when we were in some place like Bournemouth or Deauville and there was an open-air dance floor right outside our window? No. Yes, you do. I was writing my Jean-Paul Sartre play and there was this bloody orchestra that kept coming back to the same tune every 20 minutes and I started shouting out of the window and the hotel manager That was St. Moritz. Bournemouth? Well, what was it? What was what? What was the tune called? It sounded like Strauss or somebody. How does it go? I don't know, do I? Who are you with in Bournemouth? Oh, don't mess about. I'm supposed to give them my list of eight records by tomorrow, and so far I've got five and Finnegan's Wake. Well, if you don't know what it's called and you can't remember how it goes, why in Christ's name do you want it on your desert island? It's not supposed to be eight records you love and adore. Yes, it is. It is not. It's supposed to be eight records you associate with turning points in your life. Well, I'm a turning point in your life, and when you took me to San Maritz, your favorite record was the Ronettes doing Dadoo Ron Ron. The Crystals. The Ronettes. You're going about this the wrong way. Just pick your eight all-time greats and then remember what you were doing at the time. What's wrong with that? Look, I'm supposed to be one of your intellectual playwrights. I'm gonna look a total arsehole, aren't I, going on the radio to announce that while I was telling Jean-Paul Sartre he was essentially superficial, I was spending my whole time listening to The Crystals singing to do Ron Ron.
2: Um, But to me, when I was listening to it, I swore... I was hearing Jeremy Irons in both scenes, right? Um, n- not because like oh all British people sound alike, it, 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 you know, uh, but because they because <laughs> no, c- they, do. they <laughs> yeah they do. they do. Yeah. Um, but no, <laughs> uh, apologies to any right. UK listeners. No, um, no, don't apologize. But uh, the <laughs> they know what they did. But <laughs> but but the truth was is that the the sort of the the timbre of the voice of Jeremy Irons and Kenneth Walsh. Are mm-hmm. remarkably similar. I um, obviously, you hear Jeremy Irons' voice, and it's unmistakable. You know, it's it's but, Scar. You know, you, right, well, you, sure. you you know it so well. But 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 Kenneth Walsh's so voice is 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 also a little gravelly and a little raspy. And well, Kenneth Kenneth
0: Ken, uh, Kenneth Walsh's that's hard to say mm-hmm. voice when he's playing that character is very Jeremy Irons. When he yes. comes on in the next scene as max the actor who's playing the character in the play that yes. we just saw you you will never they're very distinguishable of course but there is a certain sense of him he's doing this sort of like noel cowardy yes. kind of like character of this very posh guy who's yes, got like, a lot oh, no, very uh, yeah. witty things to yeah. say like the days of the digital watch are numbered Um uh, it's just one of those Tom Stoppard lines that just spins in your head endlessly. Oh, yes. Where you're just like, "Oh, how do, you, how do you even think of a thing like that to say?" <laughs> the so, but yeah, I think that is very much on purpose. And I actually think, in in kind of a weird way, the that moment in the play works best in this format, even better than it would on stage. Perhaps. Yes. But real fast, before we get too deep in it, sure. do you think you could summarize quickly the plot of
2: the real thing? Sure. It's about love. <laughs> uh, and, and scene. <laughs> and see, yeah. And thus closes the shortest episode in podcast It's a good history. summary. It's
0: a very good summary.
2: Yeah, it's... Yes.
0: Could you... Little less, <laughs>
2: <bro>. <laughs> Yeah. That's the, that's the super pulled-back version. That's the thematic The summary. thematic yeah. version. No, it, 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 it is about love. It is about infidelity uh, and the uh, sort of Struggles to define what is, I think, modern romance and what is, what is, um, what works for people. Um, there's a great, um, sort of, uh, shaking up of, of, of norms too. I mean, obviously the, uh, infidelity is obviously a pretty old story uh, and, mm-hmm. and pretty universal. Um, uh, but, uh, there's. a bit of the, the struggle to, to, to find love, to, to be loved and the search for the, the, the real thing versus a fling. Um, mm-hmm. be, because there's, uh, great dysfunction within the relationships of the characters that, that, that we meet. Um, and, uh, so-and-so's cheating on so-and-so, but in reality, they're cheating on so-and-so. You know, it it, it kind of, it's a little bit perpetual. It actually reminded me a little bit of uh, Closer. Yeah. Um, But a far less um, less, extreme uh, kind of version of that. A little more grounded. Yes, but but I I would say in general, uh, yes, it it is about um, deciding what's worth fighting for in a relationship. Uh, You know, a fling that makes you feel passionate and alive versus uh, a, a strong rewarding relationship and what you're willing to do to sacrifice for, 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 for both or for, for either. Mm-hmm. Um, it <laughs> sounds a bit goopy there, but, but I think that, yeah, it's, it's about uh, the relationships and the struggles that, that, that people have, um, who are really trying to find the, 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 the zest in, in life and their, their discontent, uh, with how their lives are versus mm-hmm. um, what they what they want, so I'm sure that all hit the yeah. It does. I mean, it's, it, it covers all those grounds. Yeah, really. It's, I mean, it's Stoppard, wide. Yeah. Stoppard
0: stuff does tend to work, twist and turn and move, and like it goes several different levels deep. The um, sort of nitty gritty of it. I mean, it is surrounded by this character. Jeremy Irons who plays a playwright, right? Who's who is a Sort of, you know, you could say is Tom Stoppard stand in, but it's certainly yes. it, 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 whether that's true or not, he is certainly very precise about language. He's very, very witty. He's very, very smart. And but emotionally, kind of a child. Oh, yeah. Um, he is married at the beginning of the play to Christine Bransky, who's like we say, is starring in the play he's done, mm-hmm. which we see a scene of. He's having an affair with Glenn Close, who's married to the actor we saw mm-hmm. in the first mm-hmm. scene. Try to keep up, and Absolutely. then. That comes out, and at the same time, Christine Baranski is working with this, because he's in prison, right? This protester, soldier, uh, Brody. Brody, yes. Who was an activist protesting anti-missile things, which was very big in Britain in in the 80s. And then they, Glenn Close and Jeremy Irons, break from their respective spouses, and then two years later, we're in Act 2, and they're together, and things are going okay, but then this thing starts with this fling, possibly between Glenn Close and an actor in the play. In a play, she's with played by Peter Gallagher. Of, yes, of all people, yes, the doing, father from the OC. Yes, doing <laughs> a, doing doing a British accent, um, and they possibly have an affair. Possibly they don't. And then we meet. Then they do a television play, mm-hmm. which would sound kind of weird to Americans, but was a, is is still kind of a thing in Britain that sure. they do these TV plays. We'd call the movies of the week. But we don't even really have that anymore. And then, uh, at the end, we meet the real Private Brody, which is the character Peter Gallagher was playing. Mm-hmm. Sort of, we, it's not really clear. This is where the the sort of like Jacob's ladder, like M. C. Escherness of yes. Stoppard comes together. Yes, but one big thing, like I was thinking about before I listened to this, having read it years ago when I sort of devoured Stoppard's body of work, which is something I think that every like male high school person theater person goes through um somehow i missed out on that uh, that's yes well of my <laughs> age let's say um it's uh because when i was in high school he was still i mean he had just written arcadia mm-hmm. which if you've never seen or read or heard okay mm-hmm. arcadia, arcadia is is his best work i think since rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead mm-hmm. which is which is an astonishing piece of theater mm. um but so he was still new. He was he hadn't done Shakespeare in Love yet. When I was in high school, like he was still really working and making. So he right. was still somebody contemporary. People were f- producing his plays around, uh, like in community theaters and regional theaters for the first time. Right. So he was still hot mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. So he was somebody, you, know, you got to read him. He's working now. Whereas I think when you were in high school, post Shakespeare in Love, post, like he's, he's Tom Stoppard. Yes. Kind of in a established in like, like Arthur Miller. He's, yes. He's that kind of player. Yes. So like, you know, I've read the Arthur Miller plays you read in high school, but sure. I haven't devoured like Arthur Miller. Right, right. Right. And I think Stoppard for me was a little bit more like, Oh, this is a guy who's like doing stuff. And I remember so I read it in high school and really liked it, but like, I remember thinking, why is it called the real, th-? like now prepping for this, I was like, why is it called the real thing? Cause like all of his, his plays have kind of, not obtuse titles, but the titles are very specific. So you have like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, Jumpers, which mm-hmm. is a, is the most bizarre play he ever wrote, I think. <laughs> uh, Travesties, which was revived not too long ago. And uh, Arcadia, like I say, he has a lot of, a lot of plays, I'm not going to name them all. But like this was one where I was really thinking, like, why is it called The Real Thing? And it seems to me that like reality is something that this play really, really messes with. Oh, yeah. In terms of n- not only like where are we at any given moment, like sure. you, you sort of don't, in the, in the sense of like the way plays are normally structured, which are these it, 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 this is basically follows the model of a, a kitchen sink drama. Certainly. Certain, you know, the, just people in their houses being charming and talking. Mm-hmm. But there are scenes short scenes. Very short. Very short yeah. scenes between actors where you're kind of not 100% sure if it's a play we're watching a play within a play or if it's really what's happening and you kind of don't know until the next scene which we'll talk about the last scene in either direction yes because there's a great scene when you meet peter gallagher for the first time on a train glenn close is just on a train and then peter gallagher walks in and sits down and they start having this like bon dialogue (laughs) <laughs> and then you're like, oh, oh, this is real. And then they start doing dialogue from a script we'd heard earlier. Uh-huh. And it kind of twists on itself. And then later we see them acting that scene out for the television. Pl- like it really does. Just like you kind of go. It really puts you in this weird headspace of having to really pay attention to what's happening. Most definitely. So you can actually follow like,
2: where you yeah, are. Yeah, because the, the opening scene really, uh, you know, sets you... In an environment that you believe is real, but then you find out that it's not. Right. So ultimately, I think that's pretty brilliant because as an audience member, you're like, I, I really am on the edge of my seat. I do not know what is real, what is what is not. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, a, a wonderful double double entendre of the real thing. Yeah. Uh, that, that's going on there. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the what really spoke to me uh, in that is yeah. What what is what is reality? Uh. Versus you know, what we think it is versus what it, what it really is. And also love.
0: And what are people doing? I mean, there's this whole thing, like the characters don't trust each other.
2: No, at all.
0: No. Um, And don't really, what's so funny about most is they don't really seem to, to know where they stand with each other. There's always this sort of like trying to figure out what our relationship is. And there's this wonderful reoccurrence of like, we see the scene at the beginning where Christine Bransky in character, has just returned from a trip abroad and didn't take her passport. And that's right. how her husband thinks that, played by the other guy, who's not really her husband, was uh, was cheating on her because she didn't take her passport when she went to Switzerland. That scene kind of ends unresolved. And then in Act 2, we have a mirror of that where Jeremy Irons, now married to Glenn Close, mm-hmm. searched through all her stuff. And I can't remember what he... Or he didn't find anything. I mean, it was. I don't remember how, what he... But he also thinks she's having an affair with Peter Gallagher. Yes. Which turns out to be true. Sort of. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. Certainly she's having an emotional affair with Most Peter definitely. Gallagher. Most definitely. And it turns out, we find out through dialogue, that Christine Brancy's character in the opening scene was not having an affair. Like the, the So it's this weird parallelism, but that goes in this completely other direction. Yes. And... What it really seems to be about, I mean, ultimately then, culminating, spoiler alert, is (laughs) in the last scene where we discuss, like, Glenn Close this whole time has been very obsessed with getting this private Brody character out of prison. Yes. Obsessed with it to a level that that sort of seems, we sort of initially believe is because of her, like, tremendous activism and her sense of justice.
2: A little more than just a passion project. Exactly right. And it
0: turns out she's actually she feels tremendously guilty because she's the reason he's in prison in the first place that she she met him on a train totally by chance he was a wall she and he went to this protest with her and did this i think he started a fire and that's what got him arrested and it is this really amazing last scene where like she's all happy because they did the television play and now he's out of prison and she thinks that's why and he gives this lovely speech about how actually no it's because of overcrowding they threw me out
2: yeah Half a billion
1: pounds for defense, nothing left for prisons. So you get three, four to sell. First off, they tell the magistrates, for God's sakes, go easy. Find the bastards. But still, they keep coming. Four, five to sell. Now they're frightened it's going to blow up. Even the warders are going on strike. So give us the money to build more prisons. Can't be done, laddie. We are spending the money to keep the world free, not in prison. So they start freeing the prisoners. Do you get it? I'm out because the missiles I was marching against are using up the money they need for the prison to put me in. Beautiful.
0: And it, but it puts Jeremy Irons and Glenn Close in this wonderful, even plane. Yeah. For a second, where, as as David Mamet once has said, like all drama is based on a lie, and once the lie is revealed, the play is over. It is sort of that moment of like. Jeremy Irons wants everyone to believe he's witty and charming and above it all, but Glenn Close, his love for Glenn Close, reduces him to some terrible actions, and vice versa. It turns out Glenn Close isn't perfect. She is, she's not the idealist she was pretending to be. She's just super guilty. Yeah, <laughs> of the fact that
2: you got this guy arrested. No one. Yeah, no one is really as anything that they try to yeah. come across as, yeah. and that is really lovely to to see i mean yeah absolutely the the the, the bottom keeps falling out uh, on on your perceptions of these characters you think uh jeremy irons who's so smart so suave so above it all um and could never be flustered absolutely gets flustered when uh his reality with glenn close is is questioned and shattered and uh you really are you kind of in you kind of are delighted in seeing him crumble yes. and then build himself back up and everyone does that. Um uh the only person who doesn't seem to do that, because maybe they're not old enough yet, is Cynthia Nixon's character right, as, as the young daughter. Jeremy
0: Irons and Christine Baranski's daughter.
2: Exactly, yeah. who is um I, I love who's the like
0: dropping out of school and running away with a musician with a musician who's like, like a bigger. circus performer. Or something. Right. Yeah. something.
2: And, and and um, I I love that that bit uh, but between them, where uh, Jeremy Irons is kind of shocked at how cynical and yet how well spoken she is about love and about monogamy and. Um, he's sort of like you. You better be careful. You're kind of a little too smart for your own good. Like you're right. Y- you're not old enough to know what you're saying is wrong, but you're saying it really yeah, well. Yeah. There's a running
0: gag that people that between both Cynthia Nixon and Glenn Close that he often comments that they they're not saying anything, but they say it tremendously well. Yes. So it sounds like something. Yes. And like how that's bad. Like it's very bad to like to be able to speak eloquently and then have but have nothing underneath it, which is juxtaposed with the fact that Private Brody writes this script that then Jeremy Irons Ghost writes to make Mm -hmm. to turn into something yes that is genuine. It's so didactic and so like direct. It's unlistenable as a piece of drama. Yes. But it is true. It is honest, we think. It is like, it is very, very matter of fact. It is not said well, but it is saying something. And so Jeremy Irons has to live in this middle ground where he's trying to make it say something, but also be worth hearing. And ultimately, Private Brody hates what he's done to the script because he says you made it flowery, you made it like right posh, and I'm not that. I'm just a guy.
2: He's like, I made it digestible, right? Yeah. And
0: that's the thing is like Jeremy Irons gets, I think, justifiably mad where he's just like, I'm sorry, I wanted people to listen to it. I thought that was the point, point. and they just are not. They're not coming at it from from the same point of view. But one thing that struck me listening to it this time, and I wonder how you feel about this, mm-hmm. uh, especially somebody who's younger than me is not I shouldn't I keep saying that not that much younger than me there are certain elements of it that are totally normal just treated like average regular normal things that I find deplorable yes (laughs) specifically about Jeremy Irons character and I think ironically or maybe ironically this play has grown into the character specifically Jeremy Irons plays has grown into this Encapsulation of his generation, because he is ultimately um, a nihilist. In yeah. my opinion, he he believes in love, and he loves Glenn Close, and he loves his daughter. Like these are facts; these are things I can pretty much assert, and I see those through his actions. I'm not just told that, like the way he behaves, but but his dismissal of political ideology writ large, not just sort of like what would have been the sort of liberal anti-missile, anti-Margaret Thatcher mm-hmm. thing that Brody and Glenn Close represent. Cause Glenn Close really, it should be said does believe she's the, the, the closest thing this play has to a true believer. Like she's the yes. one going to the protest. She's the one fighting injustice as yes. she sees it. And he, uh, Jeremy Irons uh, sees that as useless and, a waste of time, which is one way. But then Stoppard also seems to see it as useless and a waste of time by presenting Brody as not worth saving. That seems to be the sort of the character I get at the end of the show is this guy really isn't worth... Not that he belonged in prison, but he's he's not useful. He's, he's writ large useless. Like, he doesn't believe anything. He's not a real cause. He's just kind of a jerk. And yeah. That sort of general nihilism really upsets me in a now. Mm. It is not something that it would have bothered Mm, me probably even, you know, five years ago necessarily. But like now I find it to be unacceptable and deplorable and generationally representational Mm. of a certain kind of. Guy, mainly, mm-hmm. of a certain age. <laughs> they try not to say the word boomer very, very carefully. Um, that was the one but thing I did, missing
2: from the script. You know, okay, boomer. I up. did feel yeah. that, but yeah. there were several times <laughs>
0: listening to this where I was just like, I don't like you. And not that I'm supposed to, but, you know, and you don't have to like every character that's on the stage. No. But I did really feel like you have a point of view that has led to Brexit. Like, you, are, I can draw a straight line <laughs> From How? you to what is as we live in real time happening today, uh, yes, it, like, you know, yes. what I mean? like it is literally today as we record this. Yes. Um. So, it it just struck. It would not have struck me as I say earlier, but because the way these plays and, and any piece of art transforms that the times around it kind of transform the response to it, I found his above it all nature to just be irresponsible
2: and it, it was e- exhausting yeah yeah you know, in in the um <clears throat> to to Tom Stopper's credit and to Jeremy Irons both you know masters of their craft mm-hmm. uh you are drawn to this character who probably in real life you would not be able to stand. Oh, sure. I, I mean, he and is. And most so... people can't. It's no. kind
0: of like, it's very <laughs> yeah. clear that, like, Glenn Close is kind of the only person and his daughter who actually like him, too. Yeah. Because, you know, Max, G- Christine Bransky's husband, doesn't like the way he treats Christine Bransky, ironically. Um, Christine, no, no, excuse me, doesn't like the way he treats Glenn, Glenn Close. He's mm-hmm. like, God, I'm getting mixed up myself. <laughs> Christine Bransky really doesn't like him. No. like, And is not un-, not un too happy when they get divorced, I'm sure. Um, Cause he's not nice to her, and uh, Peter Gallagher doesn't like it. Like nobody likes this guy except for these two women who he loves. And so yes, I agree. He'd be insufferable to be in the same room.
2: Yeah, as. I mean, it, I mean, he, there are some truly eloquent moments uh, that are uh, given to to uh, Henry, the the character Jeremy mm-hmm. Irons plays, especially when he talks about you know the value of good writing and how that's kind of i think maybe the only thing he really feels not nihilistic about is mm-hmm. the, is the spoken word and he's he's very particular about his daughter speaking english correctly and how he has to form these clunky words from brody into something um, that the public can consume so he can i think as he says to do all you can hope is to push the world a little bit to, right. to maybe get people to think a little bit differently. Um, I feel like it's the only thing he truly cares about other than, I think, his his, his libido, um, which is like, sort oh, of. you know. Well, he
0: does sort of, I mean, what's funny about it is you later find out in the scene the second scene Christine Baranski has, in, or the third, in act two, that she cheated on him a ton. A ton. And he only cheated on her with one person who right. was Glenn Close. And like, so actually his libido even comes second to his intellect because you see the way he is passionate about Glenn Close that he is not about Christine Branski at that point but what's what struck me just now about what you said is that that's absolutely true i mean he has this lovely speech about the print about the cricket bat uh, and
2: that's it, designed to the difference
0: between yes. a, a, a collection of wood and a cricket bat i mean absolutely. it is a really really great metaphor yeah. but he does not use his talents to that end he writes this play that we see a scene from which is sort of about the nature of love kind of but it's very flowery and wordy it, oh, very and much and, so. and doesn't go anywhere and ultimately we dis- i mean at least Christine Baranski feels has a very disappointing ending yes that he sort of he's a romantic he leans into the romantic half of of the of the bit which is revealing about what he does later but he doesn't use his language skills to nudge the world forward he uses his language skills to turn his like turn, to try to create a fantasy that fits the way he wants the world to work. Yes. Which is also revealed by in the opening scene or not the opening scene, the second scene, he is trying to pick his records to be on Desert Island Discs. This play is so British it's making me like sit up straighter. I love it. We should um, be drinking coffee,
2: it should be tea. We should be drinking tea and eating
0: crumpets. Um or scones. I had a scone for breakfast. Does that count? Um but he uh he 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 has all the music he likes is terrible 50s American yes. doo-wop music. And he's trying to pick pieces of classical music to bring on Desert Island Disc because somebody says I think Christine Maranski is to just pick your five favorites and then retroactively create a story about it and he's like I can't do that I have to pick the five pieces of music that like say something about me as the serious playwright artist and it's gotta be real and it's gotta be classical music and it's gotta be and what's so funny about it is he doesn't even think he likes the right kind of pop music. I like that. He's like, I could throw a little Pink Floyd for color. People like that. But it can't be to do Ron Ron. I can't say that my <laughs> records are to do Ron Ron. And what's so funny about it is, that, I mean, he's I, I think on one level, especially at the time, he's right. Now, if like a snooty playwright went on Desert Island Discs and said his favorite was like stop uh the Britney Spears song, you know, like um not stop. what the, What's the it? stop remix? But what's the song called? Is that oops I did it again? Oops. Yeah. Yeah. Oops I did it again. <laughs> Jeez, man, how did I get there so backwards? If he went on there, if I went on Desert Island Discs and mm-hmm. said that, you know, like, my favorite, one of my favorite songs is Oops, I Did It Again, the Stop
2: Remix. From be me. laughed off the show.
0: I w- No, I, th- I think it would be <laughs> actually viewed as honest. And f- that's what we want from our artists. True. We want them to be human. We right. want them to be honest. We want them to have flaws, flaws that we like, flaws that are funny. But
2: that ego inside, oh, I could never yes, admit right. to that. Yeah. Yeah. We,
0: we want to know what you're guilty. We want to know you watch reality TV. We want these right. things about you. And in the, the time even up through like the 90s and 2000s like no 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 like you have to have this curated image that you present because you go on TV and radio infrequently now you're on as much as you want to be so that that artifice has been chipped away at and we've got other problems but that is an interesting aspect to his character that he and i think also again unintentionally generation, generationally representational of of a of a man of a certain age born to a certain class of a certain race. Yeah. You know, a, a romantic is, nihilist. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Which Who, just sounds yeah. exhausting. It does sound exhausting. You put that on your Tinder profile, no one's messaging you, you know. <laughs> no one's no one's doing well, that. if they are, you don't want to talk to them. Absolutely. Uh, it ain't going to be Glenn close. Like, no, no, right no. Now.
0: But like he's only he's always reacting to things and, and creating a sort of like This is the way the world works, and this is how I'm comfortable, and I can't exist outside of this box. Yes, Um, which is revealed in the conversation with with Cynthia Nixon, where they talk about sex and just their approach is very different. They have very, very different mentalities about it, and you know, I think that she says the line like, "Your problem is you never went into the boiler room with the Latin teacher." Like it is this sort of (laughs) sense of just like your you you have this idea about romantic love that isn't practical it isn't tactile it doesn't live in the sort in this way no
2: it's 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 um yeah it's intangible it, and yeah. it, and it's always going to disappoint and and i think that's what leads him to be looking elsewhere for for that affection and um and finds finds glenn close who who yeah. who matches most of the things he's looking for but even then it's not perfect because <laughs> you know you kind of sympathize with glenn close like my god you know like I, i'd probably be looking elsewhere too because this guy is a, a bit exhausting yeah um but yet you know like i said to a credit to the to the performances they are lovably exhausting yes and i wittily well,
0: wittily and wittily, like, and funny, wittily exhausted, exhausting yes and uh and i think that one of the other things that gets us where we need to go with 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 jeremy irons is that He does care. I mean, like, I love the speech he gives her where she says to him in in one scene, like, you have to find a part of your life where I'm not important. Yeah. Because she feels kind of suffocated. And he does give this beautiful response later where it's like, it doesn't exist. There is no part of me that doesn't care about you. I care care about you. And it is lovely. It is a lovely moment of just being like, that's kind of fully admitting to his vulnerability of like, I can't find it. It doesn't exist. You are everything to me. Now... (laughs) on the other side of that (laughs) is the another complaint that I had about it listening to this time, which is the way the women are written.
2: Yes, I was
0: very disappointed in the writing, not in the performances, in the writing of the women. Because again, I feel like if it's not Glenn Close, Christine Baranski and Cynthia Nixon or their equivalents, this gets bad real fast. Yeah. These are very two dimensional characters on the page for me. Glenn Close maybe less so. She has a lot, there's a little more layer to her. Mm. But even those layers end up ultimately making her foolish. So that's not great. But like Christine Baranski's character, whose name is, I, what's that? Actually, Charlotte. Charlotte. There, Good mm-hmm. for you. Um, <laughs> I was going to the script. There we go. Um, is, yeah, she's just, she's kind of shrewish. And then she's, postmodern shrewish like she's not (laughs) yeah yeah you know it's um and if it wasn't two-time tony winner award winner two-time emmy award winner christine baranski i would i would dislike her but it's christine baranski so i love her
2: it's it's interesting because you know no no one in this play is perfect um everyone's got things that other characters can can certainly razz them about or rag Mm -hmm. on them for um but because I think we we really are seeing the world through Jeremy Iron's eyes uh as as Henry, um they do uh, I don't want to say they feel like playthings, but they are they are merely pieces in in his in his desire for the real thing. Oh sure, um, and, and that. But they, also stoppers. I mean, that's yes. the other
0: level to it, and that's what makes the sort of accidental meta of this. Because of course, if you have a play written by a British playwright about a British playwright writing a play, right. <laughs> you go. I mean, anytime a playwright or a filmmaker, somebody makes a movie about people making movies, or they write a play about people writing plays, the instant assumption is that, that it is you, yeah. right, and telling a story. And there are elements of this that do actually reflect things that happen in Stoppard's real life. Uh-huh. But I think that the unintentional revelation here, because literally it's not true, but I think there's an unintentional level of truth to it where the characters literally only exist in relation to Jeremy Irons and they do fit into boxes to either agree with or disagree with but never disprove Jeremy Irons' central theory in the world. They never meet him... They never challenge him truly. Mm. You know what I mean? He's challenged. He's challenged. But his world point of view is never completely challenged. His, his ma- you know, masculinity is challenged. His, his intellect is challenged. And challenging things happen. But I think it's very revealing that Glenn Close, uh, as... Hang on. Don't tell me. Don't damn it. Chris, I said, don't tell me. Um, I I think that earned me another munchkin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Does actually cheat on him. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? She's what would would have been considered like she's weak. She's in that moment. She does the unfaithful. thing. Sure, sure. And it's a lot more interesting to me if like in the play he wrote, he's torn apart by his own inability to like his own jealousy and there's nothing there. You know what I mean? Like it's not, she was quote unquote faithful to him and he destroyed himself. Like that's sort of like, Oh my gosh, that's, that's interesting and weird and funny and kind of neat. And now there is an interesting element to the play that like we, this scene of, of discovering that she was, that she cheated on him early. And then we do see them kind of work through it.
2: They're, yeah, they're, which is
0: something you don't see in shows very often. so I was very interested in that I
2: will say yeah for um for as much as um certain conventions are are challenged um I was quite quite <laughs> you know for for a planet that is full of people cheating on one another yeah. and lying and and uh destroying norms and and, and whatnot. Um, I found that the the ending, where we find all, or where, where we yeah, where we find all the characters, is oddly hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in a in a modern sense, that actually where that seemed very much like today. Uh, in the sense like how how do, um, how does a broken home continue to to to, to function and actually not be destroyed um there's a kind of beautiful scene you know you know even though uh at the end where where Christine Baranski uh admits that she had been cheating on him mm. uh Jeremy Irons for a while um you know they're talking about still what's best for their daughter. And um, uh, Christine Baranski asks, well, how's, how's Annie? How's, how's Glenn Close? You know, it's not like, don't you ever come here again? You know, time has passed. I mean, there's about a two year gap between the first act and and the second act um, where a sense of normalcy has set in, but not, not malice. Um, There's no discussion of like, I can't believe you, did this to my mother or did this yeah. to my husband or wife none of that mm-hmm. and um and at the end um uh max calls at the end of the play right. to tell the man that cheated on his wife I'm I'm engaged right, I'm getting married and I'm doing yeah. all this and and like there's no awkwardness at all it's like that's wonderful right, I'm gonna right. tell your ex-wife that mm-hmm. and and it's great and and all this stuff and it, it's it's Yeah. um, You don't see any hatred or malice built up from any of the characters who've been cheated on. It's always the suspicion of being cheated on that gets them the most riled up. But like once it's out in the open... Well, and we do see the pain of it. I mean, we do see, in, we do see a quick
0: scene where... With Max. Where Max discovers yes. that Annie has been cheating on him, where she right. finds the handkerchief in the car. Well, this probably isn't anything, but I found this in the car between the front seats.
1: What is it? Henry's handkerchief. Well, give it back to him. Yeah, give it to me. I'll wash it. You could give it to Charlotte at the theater. I did give it back to him. When was he in the car? It was a clean handkerchief apart from my blood. Have you got a cold? it looks filthy it's dried filthy you're filthy you filthy cow you rot filthy it's not true is it yes oh god why did you i'm awfully sorry max all right all right it happened all right It, it didn't mean anything i'm awfully sorry max but i love him oh no yes
2: oh no you don't
1: yes i do and he loves me That's that, isn't it? I'm sorry it's so awful, but it's better, really. All that lying.
2: Christ, Daddy, stop it. I love you. Please don't. I'm sorry,
1: Max. I'm so
2: sorry. How long for? And him? Oh,
0: God! I was also struck, I just want to comment, excuse me, one thing that struck me listening to it was the, the fact that there are seven actors in this show, only... Two of whom appear in the whole, th- like in every scene, not all the time, but right. in most scenes. And like um, Max, for example, is in Act Scene One and Two, and Never Again. Never Again. Um, Peter Gallagher, who plays Billy, is in two scenes in Act Two, and Never Again. Uh, Vito Rugnitz, who is a guy you will recognize if you saw his face, who plays Brody, mm-hmm. is in one scene. All the way at the end of the play. yeah, And so it's just fun. like, that is not the way you even typically write plays. No. Because that would be an expensive, like you got to pay the man to be in the to show. To be there. And, you know, he doesn't double. You can't, he can't double. I mean, it's the other thing, like you can't have no. actors double. No, no, no It no. defeats the purpose of the show. Because then you get really confused of like, if, if the guy who plays Max also plays Brody I don't know how you you couldn't make it work because no. you'd be like, well, there's that Max or is that Brody or is this a play? Like where? At? Like then you'd really be completely lost. And part of the bit of it is seeing an actor you've never seen before. But in that way, it's a lot more like a film where, of course, you could have an act like as many different actors as you want to sure. so film for a day and then they're on their way. So that's just kind of as a playwright really struck me something like, God, I would never do that because people would be like, this is too pricey. Like this, doesn't, about, this doesn't work.
2: Think about all the other plays he could be doing rate. that night right. elsewhere in town and, and then maybe come back. Did he enact one of Hurley Burley? I don't think so. <laughs> He might have been. He played Hurley. He yeah, played. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was up for Burley. Right. What have you got coming up that people can come see? Uh, I'm going to be in sheer madness at the Kennedy Center uh, yeah, you are. in uh, the springtime. Nice. And um, you know, I've been doing that show on and off. So I'll be. Oh, cool. On and off, for, I yeah, I off for the last okay, couple of years. Cool. And and so I'll be jumping in Back on in that. DC's yeah. longest running show. Yeah. The show itself. Uh, overall just celebrated its 40th anniversary. There you go. Take that, Phantom. That's (laughs) right, right. Stick that under your mask. Yeah, 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 um, (laughs) But uh, the, uh, no, it's just, it's pretty pretty amazing. that's great. uh, So yeah, so that's what I got going on. (laughs) Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.
0: The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at UnknownPenguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Chris Stinson for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal.